Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... And once again, we see here that the smile of heaven, God's favor, is on the generous. And the Lord says, I will supply all your need. Not all your wishes, not all your wants, but all your need. And the Apostle Paul is not just saying, well, I kind of know this in theory. Remember, we've said everything in chapter 4, he's living it out. Most everyone, when asked, wants to be generous, but we often fear that we won't have enough to survive. In today's message, Pastor Jim will teach us about a poor church that was rich in generosity. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of Philippians chapter 4 with his message entitled, Joyful Generosity. God doesn't need our money. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. He says, I'm looking for not what you gave me, but what God gives you. See, I think a lot of us forget that we think, oh, I gave a gift for those people. God says, no, 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 no. When you give, it's more for you, the giver, than it is for the people you gave it to. Now, we know the Apostle Paul had opponents. Just read the Bible. They're always accusing him of impure motives. Why? Because their hearts were impure. Their hearts were impure. So if somebody collects, we're going to take a collection for the Apostle Paul. We send him the money. If he takes it, what is he? He's greedy. He's greedy. If he doesn't take it, what is he? He's ungrateful. What false humility. We get that here. People, we don't receive the offering. We have the boxes in the back. People come to me and they go, Pastor, just one one comment on the service. I'm like, only one. I had about 80. (laughs) Only one on the service. And they go, go, you forgot to pass the plate. You forgot to receive the offering. And I go, yeah, you know, we just don't do that here. It's fine. We just, you know, I just kind of believe that I, want, I don't want people to feel that the pressure to give the money and, and God's people just give. They just do. They know it's part of what you do as a Christian. We'll talk about in a second that it's worship and they just give. So we have a box in the back and you know, if people want to put in, we actually get more money in the mail and online than we do in the box after every Sunday. But I'm like, that's what they want to do. And then you, th- you think some people would be like, oh, I get that. They're like, oh, so let me get this straight. So you don't pass the plate so people give more more money. I'm like, well, if that's the way you want to think about it, good for you. But, you know, no matter what you do, there's going to be people who are going to read into some kind of crazy motivation about what you're doing. And here the Apostle Paul says, no, 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 it's not about the gift. It's about what the gift says about the giver, but here what the benefit will be to the giver. And friend, no matter what it is, when you invest in the work of the Lord, the Lord promises to pay rich dividends. He promises to pay way better than any investment. His is guaranteed 100%. You know, when the guys tell you, I'm gonna save you a lot of money right here. When guys here come tell you, I have a proven formula to beat the stock market, run for the hills, watch your wallet, right? That's called a pickpocket. That's what they're gonna do. When God says I can beat the market, you can bank on it. You can bank on it. That's why Jesus said, don't lay up treasure on earth, right? Lay it up in heaven. Send it ahead. 
Make the best investment you possibly could. There's a verse that kind of is around here. It's hanging up in some of our different hallways and some of the emails that we send out to some of the people that are serving. And it's Hebrews 6.10. And it says this, for God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown towards his name, okay? The love you're showing towards God in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister, that God's not gonna forget the help that you gave to other Christians. And so sometimes I think we think that the little that we do doesn't really matter. And so the writer to the Hebrews says, no, not, not only does God see it, but he's promised not to forget it. So the apostle is excited for them, not for himself, perhaps because he realizes that generosity helps us to be content and that God has promised to reward it. Now, I know this, our country has been in this kind of funky economy for quite a while, and maybe you don't have very much right now. Maybe you're like, there's just not a lot of fruit on the tree. (laughs) There's just not a lot. But the Lord says here, if you invest in my kingdom, I'm gonna fill it with fruit. It might not look the way you want it to look. It might not be exactly the way you want it to see, but when you get to heaven, you're going to know that you made an investment that paid off. You see, the money that we spend here is gone, right? It's just gone. We need storage places for our junk. People have those storage places all over the place, and if you haven't been to your storage place in four years, you don't need that stuff. (laughs) You don't need that stuff. Though the money we spend here is gone, when we invest in the kingdom of God, we will see that money again. And we'll see it with a tremendous return, and that's the fruit of generosity. Number three, the fragrance of generosity. The fragrance of generosity. Verse 18, he says, Indeed, I have all and abound. I am full. He's saying, Listen, I got enough. I'm doing great. Having received from Epaphroditus the thing sent from you, that's the gift that they sent. Now look at this, what he says next about their gift. Remember, these are poor people sending a gift. He says, and he uses, this is Old Testament language, he says, a sweet-smelling aroma. That's what God said about the Old Testament sacrifices, and a lot of times we think, In the Old Testament sacrifices, we know they're pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they also had a lot to do with the heart and the faith of the person who made the sacrifice. He says, a sweet-smelling aroma, some of your versions say a fragrant offering, an acceptable, look at this word, sacrifice, and now look at what he says here again, well-pleasing to God, well-pleasing to God. So here the Apostle Paul, using Old Testament language to express something that we all need to see, that giving is worship. That giving is worship. Now here's where it gets a little dicey and tricky for a lot of us here, is that the word used here is sacrifice. Is our giving a sacrifice? Do I drive a different car because I give? Maybe do I live in a different house? Maybe do I not take as an extravagant vacation? Is there at some point in time where my giving, I sense the pinch a little bit? 
is it costly to me? And it's not just money, it's any sacrificial thing we do with the right heart. Anything we do for Jesus Christ, anything that will further the cause of Christ, the Bible says that's worship. That's worship. But notice here again, he says, it's well-pleasing to God. How important to see that God takes pleasure in our generosity. We have an expression we use, right? It's the thought that counts, right? You know, then we're Americans. We're like, not really. <laughs> but to God, it does. He doesn't need anything we can offer him. It's the thought that counts. And how important to see that as Christians, our sacrifice is so deeply entwined with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. Ephesians chapter five, verse two, the apostle Paul says this. He commands us all and to walk in love. And then he says this, as Christ, and we know we're not Christ, right? As Christ also has loved us and given himself for us an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Friend, do you realize, Christian friend, do you realize there is no higher praise that could be given to you and to me than to have the same language that God uses about Jesus be the same language that's used about us. That God says, just as my son was a sweet-smelling sacrifice, the Apostle Paul says the same thing is connected to our generosity. Now, we can't do what Jesus did We're not God, we can't become a man. We can't live a perfect life. We can't die on the cross as a substitute for sinners, raise ourselves from the dead, ascend into heaven and seat at the right hand of God. But we saw in chapter two that Jesus' humility can be imitated by us. Jesus' life of generosity can be imitated by us. His attitude and motivation to please his heavenly father can become our pattern or way of living. It's part of our sanctification, which is our part of for a Christian becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, very popular verse. The apostle writes to the Romans, I beseech you, he's imploring with them, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. You see, the sacrifices that they made in the Old Testament were pictures of the sacrifice that Jesus Christ would make on the cross. Faulty sacrifices, not up for the task, right? Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. But our sacrifices are looking backwards. They're pictures of what Jesus did on the cross. We sacrifice because he sacrificed. But until we see his sacrifice for us, we will never sacrifice for him. Until we see his generosity, we will never be generous. Until we see his joy in serving others, we will never have joy in serving others. See, it's not until we see what God has done for us that we have any real motivation to serve him. And sadly, So many Christians fail to recognize how far the Lord has brought them. If it was just he was taking me to heaven, that would be enough. And to actually see that your life, Christian friend, might actually be pleasing to God. Do you think God is that harsh that he could never be happy with anything that you would do? Do you think that God just walks around all day saying like, oh, you, wrong thing you did, gotta get you. 
That's not a good father. That's not a good father by any stretch of the imagination. See, a true biblically balanced view of God realizes that he has a displeasure when we flagrantly sin, right? The Bible says he chastens those who he loves, but at the same time, we realize that when we are out there giving our best shot at it with a pure heart as we can possibly have, that God is pleased, that the smile of heaven is upon us. And a lot of it is gonna be largely unseen, Largely unseen. There are people in the children's ministry who've been working like crazy all week long to get a lesson ready for some of your children. God is pleased. Nobody else knows. I'll see somebody. How did church go today with the kids? Like, they're all brats, right? But still, God can be pleased. I think sometimes we just have this wrong American attitude of what is successful And we totally lose the message of Christianity in the process. That great movie, Chariots of Fire, Eric Liddell says, I believe God made me for a purpose, or as he says, a purpose. (laughs) But he also made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. He's not talking about winning. He's saying that God gave me a gift to be fast. And when I use his gift I feel pleasure. I feel the pleasure of God. I feel the smile of God. God says, you give a drink to someone and heaven's not gonna forget that. I'm gonna reward that. I know that. We think that you know we have to be this big famous thing. That same movie, Chariots of Fire, Harold Abrams, the other guy says this, if I can't win, I won't run. Loved ones, I'm afraid that's a lot of our attitudes. We think if we can't be the best one at it, not the best we can be, if I can't be the best one at it, I'm just not gonna do it. That is such an unbiblical attitude of life. What's biblical is to say when I get out there, when I prepare as best as I can, I do the best I can, that the smile of God is upon me. Many of us know Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. And it goes through all the great biblical characters and everybody names all those characters, but they forget the most important part of the chapter. The most important part is the end. And the end is the people who didn't succeed. They got their heads chopped off. They had to live in caves on the run. They got arrested. They got beaten. And God doesn't say this about Moses. He doesn't say it about Abraham. He doesn't say anybody. Hebrews 11.38, he says, the world was not worthy of those people. But we think we got to be Moses or nothing. We think we got to part the Red Sea or nothing. What does God say? He got his glory here on earth. But that guy got his head handed to him by trying to share Christ with his neighbor. And God says, you know, the world is not worthy of people like that. Because they didn't do it for the success. They didn't do it for the notoriety. They did it for me. They did it for me. And heaven smiles. Heaven is thrilled. When we give, when we serve with an attitude of love and trust, God says, that smells good. I love that sweet smelling aroma. Because it says a lot about what? About how the giver feels about God. 
and the teaching of the Bible in the offerings, God was delighted when his people were devoted to him, including the fragrance of generosity. Number four, the favor of generosity, verse 19. Verse 19, please, please hear me on this one. If you believe it, I mean it becomes part of you and you want to walk it, you want to live it, you're going to fail, it's going to be two steps forward, one step back. That's okay. Get up and keep going. Have friends in your life that help you to keep going. But verse 19 is one of the biggest fear killers in the New Testament. One of the biggest fear killers. He says this, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And then he ends with this praise, verse 20, this part here. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever, amen. And so here the apostles teaching all of us, teaching the Philippian church, and by extension us, he says to them, just as you have been faithful to God, you can trust that God will be faithful to you. Now, once you get a little bit dangerous and you start reading a little bit about the Bible, you get into these ridiculous debates and they go, well, is it spiritual blessings or physical material blessings? To which I'm just not that smart. And I just go, yes, right? This is the problem. When you think that you write a check, God writes a check, do you know how small that is? That's like God saying like, well, I got trillions in my bank account. Here's a few bucks for you. I don't want that. I don't want that for me. I don't want that for you. I want the riches of heaven. If God's going to account something to me, I want it to be according to his riches, according to the riches of heaven. And once again, we see here that the smile of heaven, God's favor is on the generous. And the Lord says, I will supply all your need. Not all your wishes, not all your wants, but all your need. And the Apostle Paul is not just saying, well, I kind of know this in theory. Remember, we've said everything in chapter four, he's living it out. He's telling us, I've poured my life out for the gospel and the Lord has cared for me every step of the way. He's met my need to the point in time where I could be in jail awaiting death sentence and I can tell you I'm content. I don't know, I kind of want to go like, now that's what I'm talking about, (laughs) right? I want that level of contentment, don't you? Where I'm not afraid of so many different things. Notice how personal it is. He says it's, he's my God in verse 19. And then in verse 20, he says he's our God. The bond of Christian love and fellowship that he has with this church. You see, he's just, that what he said to the Corinthian church, that's what I received from the Lord I passed on to you. That's what he's doing here. He's just telling them here that the issue is not the amount of our need, but the way God supplies it. God supplies our need according to his riches. Now, I know this. And again, I'm not trying to get your money. Don't need it, really. God doesn't need it. But we need it. We need to give Right? to experience the riches of God. This is just one of the many ways we experience his riches. And giving is hard for many of us. And certainly sacrificial giving is probably hard for just about all of us. 
You know, it's weird that if you work next to some guy at work and he makes the same money as you, and I mean, he's got a better car, a better cell phone, a better, a better everything, right? <laughs> because he's investing in himself and you're investing in the kingdom of God. You might end up looking like a fool. That's okay. That's okay. Because I'm convinced after being a pastor here for 10 years, that it's probably not the amount of money that's in our bank account that's the problem. It's probably the amount of fear that's in our hearts. And that's why God comes here with a fear-killing verse. If you want my help, this is why the Bible is so counterintuitive. The Lord says, if you want my help, then take your treasure and put it in my hand. And here's something we've said before that if our hands are closed to give they're also closed to receive right and we all know people who are really really bad with money right so what happens when your friends are around together everybody goes don't give them any money right don't give them any money do you want heaven to say that about you do you want angels going to god going don't give them any money i've been watching them I followed him. You say, well, how can I give? Well, you can give because God did. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, God's, the Father's gift tells us a lot about the Father, doesn't it? He gave his best so we could get his best. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, that's the cross, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, the Apostle Paul, when he looked at the cross, it wasn't just he felt this weird kind of obligation of a sense, but when he looked at the cross, Jesus giving his life, the Apostle Paul realized That tells me a lot about the giver. That tells me he loves me so much that he was willing to give his life for me. That's why I'm not afraid. Friends, if Jesus Christ gave his life for you, do you really think he's going to let the forces of hell ruin your eternal destiny? See, the cross tells us how much God loves us. It's a strange thing, the cross. It tells us how much God hates sin and how much he loves us. It tells us how generous God is. It tells us how sacrificial God is. And the thing is that when you see the generosity of God, being generous doesn't feel like being generous. It doesn't at all. It's just sort of a response to what you've seen. The reality is is that the crucified and risen Savior has promised to meet every need of anyone who would turn to him and put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Most importantly, the forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And a million years from today, you're going to think that would have been enough. That would have been enough. But God is so gracious and so wonderful as we already covered in Hebrews 6.10. He says, I'll forget your sin and I'll remember how generous you were. I'll remember all the good things you did for people. You will actually tangibly see my smile 
that was upon your life on earth at times. That's why the Apostle Paul ends with that note of praise in verse 20. Now to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see, the Apostle Paul has something that I am so covetous of. He had a heart full of joy because it was a heart that he knew he was saved by the joyful generosity of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining us on today's edition of Changed by Love with Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. Would you like to hear this message again? Simply log on to our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. There, you can listen to archive broadcasts, load our mobile app, as well as listen to Pastor Jim's easy-to-follow, verse-by-verse teaching on much of the Bible. You can also request a CD of this message in its original, unedited form on our website. If you would prefer to write to us, our address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. That's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Or you can give us a call at 973-659-3380. Once again, that's 973-659-3380. Changed by Love is sponsored by listeners like you. We are so thankful for your continued support and prayers that allow us to bring our show to you on this station. Make sure you tell your friends and family about Changed by Love on this station, as well as how to listen to Pastor Jim on our website and mobile app. In the next edition of Changed by Love, Pastor Jim will continue teaching through God's Word. Glance at the clock right now, and please make plans to join us next time to be encouraged, comforted, and challenged by the Word of God. You are all a blessing to us. We hope to see you next time here on Changed by Love.